What's up, Irish fans, and welcome back to another episode of The Slauncher Route. I'm your host, Jack Leniart. We got another great show for you today. Ben Belden is back on the podcast to break down Notre Dame's 12-7 victory over Louisville last weekend, and also to break down the upcoming matchup at Pittsburgh this Saturday. Before we get to that conversation, we have a quick word about Anchor. I am now joined yet again by the one and only Ben Belden. Uh, ben, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, about as good as you can be with, um, you know, sweating out Notre Dame football games against Louisville. But we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. So we're, we're recording this on Thursday, and I think that may be better because it, it gives us a little bit of time to kind of marinate on the game and not be as uh, – as quite reactionary, um, but let's start just broadly in general. What was um, kind of your feeling watching the game and, and some of your key takeaways? So I think I've kind of talked about this a little bit. Like I'm not quite as angsty as a 29 year old as I was, you know, earlier in my twenties and like as a kid watching Notre Dame football, because it's like I've seen this movie before play me- mediocre team sweat it out win at the end <laughs> so it's just kind of like I, it's almost it's like and this is sad but it's like it's almost like i'm ready for this narrative but this one just felt especially frustrating because you like you just thought that they were gonna tack one or two on at the end and take a 12 to 7 game and make it at least like 19 to 7 or 22 to 7 or something like that that makes you feel just a little bit better about it and then they just didn't really do that <laughs> so um I don't know it, in general just I you know like I say we've seen this movie before and it's honestly even though I'm a more reasoned person than I than I used to be I think I'm still frustrated as heck about it and I don't know it's four days afterward, five days afterwards now. And I, I still like, it just feels like I, we won the game. And it just feels like I have a nasty taste in my mouth. And uh, I don't know. It's just, it, you search for answers. And I was kind of vocal about this on Twitter a little bit this week that, I mean, I haven't tweeted a whole ton, but one of the things that I did do is it's kind of stinks that you want your team to be like ranked among the elite and taken seriously and all that. And then it's just like, we never as fans of Notre Dame quite, get there it's like we're just and when we are there we get embarrassed so I don't know it's uh it's a weird place to to parse through I guess what are your thoughts yeah I I'm I mean I'm right there with you it was just um yeah and like usually I feel like when we get these kind of clunkers of Notre Dame games you can kind of like anticipate them a little bit but man I mean like looking at Louisville in in their first four games of the season there was nothing that really indicated that they were going to be able to to kind of hold Notre Dame to just 12 points in a single game. So to watch them settle for for two field goals in their first two drives and then um, punt a couple times and then get stopped in the red zone again, it was – I mean, it was just – it was super frustrating. And I, and I get that um, kind of the, the pace of this game was uh, – I guess not really the pace, but the, the clock just seemed like it never stopped. So – um, there wasn't a whole lot of possessions to go around to, to score those points, but, but still it, um, I mean, they made Louisville's defense look like one of the, the better units in the ACC and they're just not. Um, 
so that that was 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 pretty frustrating it was just I mean it's just one of those games where um you know you're almost just like exhausted from being frustrated for a full four, four quarters watching it uh but yeah I mean I don't know it's it's tough um because it's almost like the complete opposite of you know kind of our takeaways from last week against FSU where last week we were saying oh you know the offense looked great they they dominated um but we had some things to clean up on the defensive side of the ball and then you go week to week and then it's you know you're saying the the exact opposite where you're like yeah the defense really won this game for us because the offense couldn't really um I mean they were able to move the ball kind of in between the 20s but stall kept stalling out when they were in the red zone and you know needed a a a seven point um, game from the defense to, to ultimately come away with the victory. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it, it, in the, in the big scheme of things to get a result like this, you know, when you still had hopes of, I mean, maybe not beating Clemson on November 7th, but, you know, finding a way to get yourself to the conference championship game at the end of the year. Um, this one hurts for sure. Um, and then, you you know, we're following that up with a game that's got all the makings to be just as frustrating. And um, it, there's plenty of reason for Notre Dame fans to feel kind of uneasy heading into the first road game of the season against Pitt. Um, and I think you just, you know, upsetting because you hoped at this point of the season, you would be in a little bit of a, a better spot. Yeah, I, I don't know. As you as you keep talking, I just like the thought that keeps running through my mind is this season stinks. Like, <laughs> like I I don't really know how to. I mean, that was obviously a very general and very uh, cheeky way of putting it, I guess. But like, I don't know. Like, I guess I realized that we hadn't played an away game, but I had forgotten, and it's like, oh no, we get to go play an away game against Pitt of all teams that's given Notre Dame fits for years. And you know they're going to sit and they're going to stack the box and you're going to, they're going to make Notre Dame try to throw the ball to the outside and, and win one-on-one matchups and things. <laughs> and it's like, oh, gosh, like, man, this could line up to be a nightmare. Um, I don't know. I guess I just felt like, and you kind of alluded to this and what you were just talking about, that I felt like Notre Dame would, even with the layoff, I felt like they would at least start to be like, you know, with Florida State and Louisville, they would start to kind of like – They'd be back on the upswing a little bit. It doesn't feel like they're on the upswing. And so that scares me. It just sort of feels like they're in a holding pattern and that, you know, there's no momentum in the right direction right now. And it's a really bad time for that to happen going on the road for the first time against a team that, you know, has given Notre Dame fits because of the style of football that they play. So I don't know. It's, it's depressing for for a little bit because you want Notre Dame football to be like your release from some of the, some of the other things that go on in the world. It's like, it's just the same, like chalking up to 2020 that, you know, we get excited about a Notre Dame football team that apparently at least to this point, hasn't been as good as we would have hoped. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's, let's dive into this a little bit more. Which side of the ball do you want to start on? I don't know. Let's make me happy and let's talk about defense a little bit. All right, let's do it. Okay. So, as I mentioned, I mean, at least week to week, there is a lot to be happy um, about on the defensive side of the ball uh, for Notre Dame coming off a game where, although, I mean, the, they were put in some rough positions that time, uh, 
they did end up ultimately giving it up 26 points to a Florida State offense that had struggled previously, but was shown a little bit of improvement. Um, and so I think all around solid performance to, to come away from a game like this where you shut out Louisville in the first half um, and ultimately hold them to just just seven points in the in the entire game. Um, so I guess uh, what were some things specifically that you liked about what you saw from Notre Dame's defense this past weekend? Um, I don't know. Can we just name one person that I like a lot and talk yeah. about Kyle Hamilton? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, gosh, is it nice to have a guy that's that talented? I mean, um, I don't know. Like he even makes the mundane things like the mundane plays look so impressive. I mean, you watch him break up a pass. You're like, Oh sweet. Cool. Pass breakup. And then you see, you know, the, I don't know, the angle from behind the quarterback where you watch him break on the ball He's behind, and maybe you know the clip that I'm talking about. I can't remember exactly when it happened in the game, but he's behind the receiver, and he somehow, like, matrixes himself so that he doesn't touch the receiver, and then he gets that long arm of his in there, and he breaks up the pass. I mean, I, I don't know. It is it is nice, like I say, to have a luxury of, you know, a player that's that talented, that's that size, that speed, has that, you know, it's rare that you see all of those things together and you add great football instincts in there. It, I mean, it's just, it's just tremendous. So without a doubt, he's my, he's my bright spot on defense. Um, although, I mean, like I said, you could really make an argument for a lot of other bright spots on defense, but for me, continuing to watch Kyle Hamilton play and develop in his sophomore season has been one of my favorite things that I've been able to, you know, to catch uh, and like I say, a Notre Dame football season that has left me pretty confused to this point. Yeah, and I mean, you're you're definitely not alone in wanting to to praise Cal Hamilton endlessly. I think yeah, that play you're talking about was against Tutu Atwell on like it was either Louisville's first or second drive. It was early in the game, and I mean, he's like one of the. I mean, I think either one of the or the fastest guy on Louisville's offense. Um, so to be able to read his route just perfectly and break on it, get the timing down perfectly. And then, like you said, kind of wrap around him to get an arm in there to get the breakup was just impressive as hell. Um, uh, I guess some other guys in the secondary, I mean, I, I thought um, the cornerbacks, Bracey and McLeod had, had decent games. Um, I saw Tariq Bracey getting some love and, and rightfully so he's, he's played pretty solidly um, through four games this season uh i know he i don't think he i mean he doesn't have you know any of those you know stats that will show up in the box or that you can hold as like super impressive but he he seems to always be in pretty tight coverage you know you rarely see him getting beat badly or out of position um so he's been a bright spot i think mcleod kind of is is settling in a bit i mean you, you definitely see flashes of the the type of player that they thought that they were getting when when he transferred in um and i think that that cornerback duo is good enough to kind of hold your own against any team not named clemson uh in the acc um and we'll see i, I mean i guess other than clemson uh unc is going to be a, a real test for for the secondary at the end of the, at the end of the season um also sean crawford too um a week, another week after uh, he had to switch over to corner against Florida State due to some guys missing time in practice, um, moving back to safety. And I think he's 
he's fit in pretty well back there. Um, I mean, obviously a guy with, with those kind of uh, injuries in his past, you know, maybe he's lost a step um, over his, his years at Notre Dame, but still, I mean, the, the, the talent is clearly there. Um, and he could, I mean, he even, again, speaking of Tutu Atwell, he had another play where he ran him straight to the sidelines for, I think it was either no gain or, or a loss of one. Um, that I thought was pretty impressive. Um, so I think, I mean, I'm trying to recall back heading into the season. I know we all thought that the linebackers were going to be a bit of a question mark, but I think the secondary would have been the secondary as a whole. I mean, excluding Kyle Hamilton um, was going to be, you know, another question as far as how they would look. And they, I mean, to me have been, I, I think the best unit on the defense because I mean, Notre Dame's defensive line, even though there's talent there, hasn't really had the production that you were hoping to see from them um, through four games this season. It seems like at times they're just, um, I mean, you see flashes, but then at times it just seems like they aren't really creating those, those havoc plays at at the line of scrimmage. Um, And we're seeing a lot of different guys get a chance to hop in that rotation. But I think, um, you know, Clark Lee and, uh, and the rest of the staff are trying to find, you know, the right, right buttons to push um, and right packages to throw out there throughout the game um, because they, it, it feels like they should be, should be kind of not really dominating, but just, you know, making more impact plays. And I, I, I don't really, I mean, I at least have yet to, to really see that consistently from them. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, and to that point though, I think that, it would sort of be safe to say that if you're an offensive coordinator going up against Notre Dame, I think probably part of the reason you're not seeing that as much is because you would think that they, that offensive coordinators scheme knowing that Notre Dame has a very talented and deep defensive line. And so I don't know. I mean, I think, I, I don't know. I think um, a couple years ago, for sure. Last year we, we talked about how, you know, on my podcast, on your podcast, on different podcasts that it seems like teams, really scheme those short throws, the, the quick three-step dropbacks and those types of things against Notre Dame because they know that their their line is is talented. And that puts and that kind of goes back to your point about Bracey and McLeod as well, that, you know, they're gonna be put in a difficult position a lot of the times because, you know, they're gonna be who's targeted in the defense because they're trying to get the ball out quick. So anytime there's a there's a an opportunity for a one on one with those guys, you know, the other team's gonna take it. So I don't know. I, I wonder, and I don't really have evidence to back this up, but it just sort of seems like teams really respect Notre Dame's defensive line and they scheme their passing game around that. And like I say, that's all the more reason to praise, you know, McLeod and Bracey for, for doing the job that they do. Um, and, and especially on Saturday, we're leaving with only able to score seven points. Yeah. And I guess uh, last week we could, we could touch on, the linebackers because I think that's another position like speaking about you know finding the right rotation I think that's another spot where Clark Lee's still trying to tinker and specifically at that that buck linebacker position um, I know Brian Kelly had the comment of wanting to see more Jack Kaiser at that position um, because I think he only had just like a handful of snaps against Louisville but again he he is coming off you know some time miss due 
um, due to, um, I don't know if he specifically tested positive, but he was at the very least quarantined because he was in close contact with someone. So he missed some practice time. Um, but yeah, it just seems like they're, they're, they're still, still trying to find the right combination of guys there. I mean, you have a player of the caliber of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa on one side of the field and, you know, he's, he's always, you know, gonna, gonna make those impact plays, but, uh, the unit as a whole, I mean, we've seen good things from guys like Bo Bauer. Um, and I think at times, you know, you see things that you like from guys like Maris uh, Leofau or Shane Simon, but it really it's just like the consistency from those guys and having being able to to trust and and, and leave them out there for for longer stretches and and know that they're going to be able to make plays for you. I think really, I mean, and um, I mean, I guess I don't get too in depth into into film breakdowns, but at times it seems like these guys just have trouble shedding blockers um when guys like like offensive linemen or, or tight ends get to that second level it just seems like they they get stuck stuck on the blocks a little bit too long and that's preventing them from from making some plays in the run game um and i mean i'm sure that's something that they work on pretty consistently uh and i know we saw another play where um uh louisville a couple of times was pulling a, a tight end kind of like behind the line of scrimmage across the formation and into the flats and uh there, there was that one play where drew Wright, uh drew white ran into jack kaiser and kind of pushed him out into the flats to, to chase down and make a tackle and then i don't know if it was that exact same drive but kind of like the opposite way um when they were down in the one yard line it was you know, an easy pitch and catch touchdown that was wide open um, to the tight end. So, I mean, little stuff like that um, of just, you know, having a feel for the game and, you know, having that discipline with your eyes to, to know where you're supposed to be at all times, uh, I think is, is something that they got to continue working on. Um, anything you want to add there? Uh, not to that specifically, but as you kind of were talking, like, here's, you know, I know you're the host of this podcast and you ask the questions, but I'm going to stray from that for a hot second. Go for do it, you, go for uh, it. do you, uh, feel as if, because I kind of have felt this way. Um, does it almost feel to you? And I, I sort of feel this way specifically more about the defense more so at least than the offense, but I guess you could kind of lump the offense in on this too. It almost feels like what we've seen from Notre Dame through four games, um, of their regular season. It almost seems like what you would feel like from like an NFL team in the preseason. Like, it's like, we're not taking this like super seriously. We're kind of like going out, rotating a lot of guys in, seeing what we have. And obviously it's worked. I mean, held Louisville to seven points. I mean, I'm not going to sit and pretend like Louisville has the most dynamic offense in the world, but it just sort of seems like as, as a team, as a unit in the defense, it's like one week we see, you know, so-and-so get a lot of snaps and then, you know, and part of this is due to COVID, but like you said, Jack Kaiser gets like, I think it was two snaps against Louisville or something like that. I mean, do you get that feeling at all that like this team in general, defensively, offensively, and maybe this can sort of be our segue to the offense is like still figuring it out. And if so, like why? And like, does that concern you at all? I think defensively in the front seven, yes. I think that's where it's been the most apparent. I think on the offensive side of the ball, um, in at least as far as uh, wide receivers go, yeah, they're still figuring out. But um, defensively in the front seven, I think, is where we've seen the most tinkering. And I don't know if that's something that 
um, that maybe Clark Lee like looks at the schedule and thinks, all right, I'll be able to do this um, without really having to, to worry too much about the ultimate results. Um, and I could still learn about my team. Um, or if it's just genuinely, you know, he has these position battles and he just doesn't know who his best options are. Um, at least no one's, you know, really clearly won the job. And so he's just still trying to figure that out. And now maybe these players have each individually done enough to, to earn their time on the field. Um, but I mean, I, I do get where you're coming from because I mean, you do see, obviously you see rotations on defense all the time, but, um, in the in the case of Notre Dame, it's little. It's been a little bit uh, deeper of a rotation than than you'd typically be expecting. Um, and I mean, certainly something to keep an eye on as we move our way through the the rest of the season. Because I guess, like in the grand scheme of thing, um, you know, it helps to have these guys getting reps. If you do somehow get an injury somewhere along your roster, you know you feel more confident in just bumping up the snap count of another guy who's already played a decent amount. Um, or, you know, your, your team as a whole is just fresher from not having as much as many snaps, at, you know, um, and mileage on them. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, and obviously you would hope for the case to be that, you know, you have great players that, um, undoubtedly deserve the lion's share of, of the reps. Um, but I feel like at the college level, you know, unless you're a team, you know, like, like an Alabama or a Clemson, like that's typically not going to be the case, but I do agree that it's been, you know, like I mentioned that that rotation has been deeper than, than you would typically expect. Yeah. I mean, it's just felt, it's felt extreme to a certain degree. I mean, after the game against Duke, you know, the big story was all the snaps that the eight or nine defensive linemen essentially were getting. And then Brian Kelly says, well, our goal next week is to get a lot of snaps for a lot of other guys in the secondary. Seems very deliberate and very just kind of like, it almost just feels like ho-hum. Like, like oh, we'll just throw people out there, like see what sticks on defense because we're going to be pretty effective anyway. Uh, I don't know. And then it just sort of feels like, and this sort of worries me a little bit, but also maybe gives me hope that – you know, basically they're taking the attitude like, okay, like we can kind of mess around a little bit uh, and our talent will win us these games. And basically we have a one game season revolving around November 7th against Clemson. So that's kind of just been my read on the situation. It's like, they're trying to get all of this solidified before November 7th where they're trying to peak, but at the same time, it's like, Oh my gosh, like how, how long are you going to mess around? Like I said, the defense isn't the problem. That's what really what we're talking about. But are you going to mess around to a point where you're going to like stub your toe against Pittsburgh and then November 7th against Clemson almost doesn't even matter. So I don't know. That's just kind of my feeling on the situation. Sorry to sidetrack, uh, take the host part out of your podcast, but no, man, no, not at all. <laughs> and I, I guess one thing I would add is I don't think it's, it's, you know, messing around and tinkering to the point like that you would see in an NFL's preseason. I think it's more, you know, like, like we were talking about where these guys are all kind of of a similar talent level and Clark Lee's expectations for them are, are, you know, pretty equal. And so I think he's just, you know, almost like flip a coin. Like, I think I'm going to get the same out of Shane Simon that I do from Maris Lee at Thou. So um, they're probably going to get, roughly equal snaps you know I, I don't i don't think it's it's tinkering for the for the sake of of tinkering i think you know that you just got a, got a lot of guys who are 
at a similar level. Um, and I hear that. But, like, yeah. just to add a real quick thought to that, and then I'll let you move on, I promise. Um, is that, like, don't you, don't you want to just at some point, you know, if you put your coaching hat on, at some point you just got to get your guys and play your guys and go to war with your the, the 11 dudes that you want on defense. Or really, in all seriousness, more like if we're talking about defense, like the 15 dudes, you know what I mean? Like, and so I, I sort of get it. Like, I absolutely agree with you that it's like, okay, well, if you're getting the exact same production and the exact same thing out of Shane Simon, Maris Leofow, then play them both. I get that. But at the same time, like, let's have a unit that develops cohesion. And here I am talking about this. I guess I'm, I'm really alluding to the offense, I guess, is sort of what I feel like. Um, but I don't know. Like, I'm just worried. I'm just worried. I'm, I'm nitpicking at things, I suppose. But it just sort of seems like this team should be put together better than it is right now, offensively and a little bit defensively. Um, so I don't know. That's just a general, generally where my anxiety lies. So anyway, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Well, we could, we could use that as a, as a segue to move to the offensive side of the ball. Um, and this might be a little bit more of a, a critical conversation. Um, so I mean, obviously, the most glaring thing is is you know the 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 final result on on the scoreboard where you go an entire game and you score six points in the first half and then six points in the second half. Um, and yeah, they only had what was it was it was it seven yeah seven possessions, um, but you have three three I guess call them real trips to the red zone where you came up um, not empty, but two that resulted in field goals. Another one that was a bizarre fake field goal. And then the other, the other trip to the red zone that, that didn't yield any points was the end of the game. So that one really doesn't count. Um, um, Yeah. I mean, it's man, I, I, I don't know. Where do you want to start with this? (laughs) Um, Here's where I want to start, okay? Okay. <laughs> uh, we have a fifth-year quarterback, right? And I have long been on – this has been a – the Ian Book tenure at quarterback has been an interesting one because I am not really a knee-jerk person. I am not usually the person, although I've kind of gone to this side at certain times, where I say, you know, we need to yank the quarterback and do something else. That's not really where I'm at. But man, I'm getting, I, I don't, I'm getting tired of watching whatever in the world I'm watching. I, I don't really know. Like I've been very, very defensive of the in book at certain times. I've even said, you know, this season, like, you know, so-and-so should have caught that pass because there was no one around him or yeah, the pass wasn't perfect, but so-and-so should have caught it. And, but like, it's just, oh my goodness. Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on on the offensive side of the ball. I don't really even know, honestly, if it's fair to place the blame on Ian Book. But my goodness, like for three years now, we've had, I mean, that's the common denominator here. And we've had underperforming offenses, whether it was, you know, Chip Long calling the plays, whether it's Tommy Reese calling the plays. I mean, I I don't know. So I'm really struggling at this point to not be the knee-jerk person that says like Ian Book ain't it. But because I do really like the kid and I've talked about, you know, last year when he, you know, got out of his own head to win that game against Virginia Tech and it was a feel good moment. And I was like, I'm going to I'm going to I want that guy to be my quarterback. That kid's a winner. 
Um, I think he's a winner. I think he's a mentally tough enough type of a person. Um, and I like that part about him, but at the same time, it's like, man, the production is really just, I, it's, it's baffling. I, and I don't really know what to think of it. Uh, short of being like, Oh my gosh, let's just pull him and just see what Brendan Clark can do. Like I, and that's not really how I feel, but I've seen that all over the place. And like, you start to wonder if that's actually the thing as long. I mean, because we've seen this movie how many times before. So I don't know. It's uh, certainly there's a lot of blame to be placed on the wide receivers. I, I'm not saying that that's not true either, but I just, I'm overall confused and I feel like I shouldn't be confused this badly about what the offense looks like with the offensive line that we have and a third year starter fifth year overall in the program quarterback. Yeah. And I think, (laughs) so I will say, I think that um, it's, I mean, it, it is a lot of the same, criticisms that we've had of Ian Book in in past seasons where you know people don't feel like he stretches the field enough and really threatens defenses that way and they also feel that you know even in scenarios where the offensive line may be pass protecting you know decently enough he still gets a little bit of uh, happy feet in the pocket and looks to you know, kind of hop outside the pocket and maybe make a play with his, his legs or, you know, ultimately throw it away. And while doing that, you know, isn't keeping his eyes downfield. It's kind of just like, all right, you know, first read's not there. Okay, the ball's going down. And then I'm going to, you know, try to try to make something happen with my feet. And sometimes it just doesn't look pretty. I know there's a, there's a couple of possessions where – um he it looks like it's like two reads and then he's pulling the ball down and there isn't even really like an alley to go into. So he's bumping into offensive linemen and then just trying to fall forward to get back to the line of scrimmage or get a, you know, a, some kind of a short gain. Um, I will say, I forget which drive it was, um, but there was, hang on, let me try to look this up um, where he ultimately tried to throw a slant to McKinley yeah it was their second possession um and that should have been a touchdown it looked like I don't know exactly what kind of route McKinley was running um but he drifted way too far back uh and the the middle of the field was wide open and so if he just breaks that route sharp sharper that with that same throw from from book that's a touchdown but yeah. because he drifted back the ball was ultimately too far in front of him and it was almost even intercepted in the end zone um so, I mean, stuff like that I, makes me feel like, yes, we can we can lob plenty of criticism on book, but at the same time, he still isn't getting as much help as he should be, um, considering you're no at a place like Notre Dame where, you know, you should be able to have more solid weapons in your receiving core. Um, and even on, I think it was when they went for two, um, was another, like, pretty nice throw from book. Um, they ended up just throwing a fade. Uh, again to McKinley, hits him right in the hands, but ultimately ends up getting broken up by the defensive back there. Um, so he he does need some help, but um, but at the same time he still uh, has just a ways to go. And at this point, um, 
I think a lot of the fan base is just kind of like losing patience. Um, and so I think if you ask people, um, I mean, maybe not with a guy like Brendan Clark, cause we've seen, you know, almost nothing from him, but I mean, you could bet your ass if Phil Dracovic was still here, uh, that they would be clamoring for him to come in after a game like this. And it's kind of like, cause like you said, I, I mean, I, I like Ian book too. Um, and I think when you get games like this, where he's also making plays with his legs and, you know, the, the offense is calling stuff like, you know, we saw a handful of QB draws. Um, I think that's what this offense needs to kind of be, you know, clicking and really um, being its most effective. But it's just like, you know, whenever you get into those obvious passing situations, you just really don't have faith um, that they're going to be able to pick it up. Um, and they did on on that final drive, which which I was very impressed with. Um, and even I, I tweeted out about it saying it was like a little silver lining uh, and caught some flack from that because people are like, oh, we shouldn't be looking for silver linings against life. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, come on, man. Like, I just sat through this absolute stinker. Like, give me give me something. Like, the offense looked decent. Um, but, yeah, it's it, the thing that's most frustrating is because you look back just last weekend and he seemed to be just in much more control. Um Whereas, you know, even if the pocket was, you know, being moved a bit, he seemed much more comfortable um, stepping into the open spaces, you know, taking care of the football and and tucking it when he knew all of his options were exhausted. Um, And he just seemed just overall more comfortable. Um, And so it's, it's, yeah, kind of frustrating when you, you, you know, as a, as a graduate, student you know you don't really have that consistency in your game yet um and so i think until he is able to prove that week in week out he can be that type of player um he's gonna keep keep hearing this noise and who knows maybe against clemson we'll we'll see him shush the the ten thousand people in the stands again after scoring <laughs> a touchdown <laughs> um yeah, uh, something that you said that, uh, and this is actually going to stray away from Ian Book a little bit, but, you know, something that you said that really has, I don't know, could be maybe the next segue in what we're talking about. You, you talked about the noise that Ian Book has had to, you know, live up against, I guess you could say. Um, you referenced Javon McKinley and what we would think, I mean, we don't know exactly it, that route that you were talking about a little bit ago. I mean, the same things that you said about Ian Book, you can also say about guys like Javon McKinley, right? I mean, fifth year gra- is he a fifth-year graduate student, fourth year? I don't know. He's been in the program a long enough time, let's just put it that way, without me wondering about it out loud. But, like, at what point do you say, forget it with Javon McKinley and move on and let somebody who's maybe a little bit more athletic, maybe has a little bit, is a little bit more raw um, – and this has been a, something that's been talked about all week. And I don't know if you wanted to talk about this or not, but obviously I'm going there. Like when you've got talented high four-star freshman receivers sitting on the bench uh, and can't sniff the field in a, in a year that they're not even technically burning a year of eligibility if they don't want to. Um, why are guys like Jordan Johnson, Xavier Watts not playing I think, you know, if you talk about Braden Lindsay, I think, you know, people wonder why he's not playing, but it sort of seems like if you read between the lines of what some of the, um, you know, people closer to the program are saying that he's still banged up and it's probably like that hamstring issue that he's battled for seemingly forever. 
Um, but golly, Neds, like my overall feeling about this offense is like, you know, they talk about like the definition of insanity is like doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. And that's what I feel like with this offense. Like we got, <laughs> we're doing the exact same thing with the quarterback position, the exact same thing with the wide receiver position. Michael Mayer has been the one bright spot on offense, but he only gets the ball twice a game. Uh, if that, uh, and then teams just load up on the short passing game or, or whatever. And then the, and then, so they can't, Notre Dame receivers can't win one-on-ones. So they have this great offensive line that they can't hardly even utilize because, you know, teams are loading the box and Kyron Williams is still averaging over a hundred yards per game, even though teams know all Notre Dame can do is run the ball. And so it's just frustrating. <laughs> like it just feels like everything is labored. It's like they're scratching and clawing for every first down and every yard. And you just expect different out of a Notre Dame offense at this point. And so I know I asked a lot of questions and, and posed a lot of thoughts right there. That's, that's what I do, but um, I, I don't know. It's just, it is, it is absolutely, I, I don't know what the word is. It's just, it's just so frustrating and so perplexing to watch this offense week in and week out, um, knowing that, you know, Notre Dame has had good offenses in the past. It's like, you know, I, I was in an argument on Twitter, uh, not an argument, but a, a discussion on Twitter about how, well, Notre Dame's offense, if you think back to like 2016, especially, Notre Dame's offense was great. It was the defense that was the problem. Why can't they ever put it together? Why? I just, I don't know. And so that's where I'm at. So I don't know. I I guess there's not really a question there. I don't know if you have much to react to off of that, but I'm done with my rant. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's – even if, you know, we, we could talk about how well they've they've run the ball thus far, but even if you're able to to successfully do something like run the ball consistently, um, eventually, you know, if you're not really threatening defenses by passing the ball, they're going to just, you know, load up the box and make your life a lot more difficult, you know, if you're going to be insistent on running the ball. So, just yeah, that consistency is is just lacking, um, and it, yeah, it's it is it is frustrating uh, going into year three of Ian Book, and then like you mentioned, other guys like like Javon McKinley who's been there. Um, this will be his fifth year in the program, and just I mean, he's he's a nice a nice player, and I think he's he's really talented. I mean, you saw that was on full display against Florida State, but um, just like Book is just struggling to be that that consistent player for, for this offense. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I mean, I, I got to imagine the, the coaching, the coaching staff obviously sees the same thing and um, they are, they do have the advantage of, you know, they're seeing these guys in practice every day of the week. So maybe they, they truly know about the readiness of some of these younger receivers that we're talking about guys like Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts and, I think Kelly even did, did Kelly give Johnson the whole um, traits feel? I believe, I believe he did use the traits word to describe what he lacked. If, if, if I understand what you're, what you're going for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that seems, I mean, it seems like we can cross him out, but still, I mean, um, Watts, I think is a guy that we, I mean, I, I got to imagine they're going to try to shake things up. Um, at some point this season and who knows, maybe it's as soon as, as this weekend. Um, uh, but 
it's they just i mean yeah we need we need more um we need to see more a lot i mean i know they do like running multiple tight end sets but um that isn't like and you have talented guys like mayor and tremble but that's not really gonna gonna threaten the defenses and and if you're running two, multiple tight end sets um and still trying to run the ball um I feel like you're gonna. I mean, especially when you you face a, a defense like a Clemson, and even even this weekend against the Pit, um, you know you're gonna you're gonna run into some troubles there. Um, so I think, I mean, based on what we've seen so far, I don't think it's we're gonna have to wait much longer to to see the staff try to try to shake some things up. Um, but um, until then, I mean, <laughs> it's gonna be. It seems like it's gonna be just a weekly topic of like, all right, what. What are we mad about this week um, when it concerns the passing game? Um, yeah. I did. I, did, I will say. Um, I mean, you, you can look at them and say, "All right, you know, you need to score more than twelve points." I feel like, and this is still kind of meager. Like they played well enough to score. Um, I, I think you could say they played well enough to score seventeen because, like I mentioned, that two point conversion I thought was a, a decent enough play call, and some people just hate goal line fades, but whatever, like, you know, you had a one-on-one matchup. It was a nicely thrown ball and it was just knocked away. It was a great play by the defender. Um, and then you had the the fake field goal that I alluded to earlier that was just, I mean, just totally bizarre. And I get that it, it just seemed kind of, uh, I mean, it, it seemed kind of like a, not not emotional, but just like more of a, a short-sighted call where, you know, you're just trying to like spark something. Whereas if you just take a step back and say, hey, all right, yeah, we'd be settling for another field goal in the red zone, but that makes it a two-possession game. You, I mean, I just feel like you have to take the points there, especially when – is that a fourth and short? There's a fourth and nine. Yeah. Um, it just uh, – I, I mean, that was just I, – I just couldn't believe it. I legitimately was, was speechless when I saw that. Um, here's a, here's so, a fun fact about that real quick, if I can just cut you off. So that, that field goal, that fake field goal, and I'm going to toot my own horn a little bit on this. Um, you know, of course, I'm always humble, you know. But um, <laughs> that fake field goal, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, came after, was it Kevin Austin caught the ball in the back of the end zone and then, you know, couldn't quite get the foot down? Was it, was it him? I think it was. Um, and so yeah, it was. if you're actually watching, if you, if you go back and you watch the NBC broadcast while they're reviewing that, they initially called a touchdown. It obviously was not. Um, you can see there's a shot where you can see that they're on Brian Kelly and you see Brian Polian basically walk up to him or at least appear in the frame whenever they come back to him. And you can see during that review, Brian Polian and Brian Kelly talking and if I could get my girlfriend on this podcast right now, she would attest that I said, I was like, oh no, they're going to try something right now. And because why else would you have, you know, the special teams coordinator and the head coach, you know, having a 30 second conversation during the middle of the review, they were discussing that, that fake field goal. So um, I don't know, like I say, I just kind of needed to toot my own horn there, but I think that was a little bit of a less of a knee jerk reaction because they talked about it for a while. But at the same time, it's like, what are you – like, that play had no chance. Like, what – I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I actually thought – and I kind of had lost track. I kind of thought it was like fourth and four at the nine. And so then they ran that fake field goal. I was like, all right, sweet. They got the first down. And then I'm like, wait a second. No, it was fourth and goal at the nine. Like, 
I don't know. So uh, yeah, definitely a, uh, a weird thing, but um, I don't know. They obviously felt pretty confident in something that they saw or they think, okay, we're up six to Louisville. We haven't played very well. Need to spark this. We're going to win anyway. So let's just try this. I don't know. I hope it's not really the second one, but like, I don't really know what to think at this point. Yeah. Um, man, it's, oof. Yeah. I, I just, I, I didn't understand that. And I mean, obviously I, I mean, we, we had talked about this before, how I was, I was super high on, on Notre Dame special teams and I thought that they, would uh win them some games this season and they almost lost them again <laughs> yeah uh because you know after louisville scores their first touchdown in the third quarter they come back try an onside kick um that uh and hats off to to jack lamb who made a great break on the ball and forced um that penalty where they the louisville player blocked him before the ball reached 10 yards yeah um but they i mean it just seemed, I mean, a hell of a, hell of a call by, by Scott Satterfield and whoever their special teams coordinator is, because that, I mean, that, see, that seems like the time to do it where, all right, just had a nice, really nice drive, um, already have a little bit of momentum. Let's roll the dice and try to get a lot of momentum because I, I mean, I can almost guarantee you that if they get the ball back, they're getting some type of points out of that next drive. Cause I mean, you're starting yep. at like midfield. Um, I mean, maybe they don't get a touchdown, but they're at least getting a field goal. And then, then you're really sweating if you're a Notre Dame fan. Um, yeah, and, and you but, do that when you're a one in three team <laughs> that's, that's not the number four team in the nation. You're not really supposed to do that type of stuff when you're the number four team in the nation, already up six to nothing, could go up two scores. I don't know. I, I, I mean, we can sit here and put our coach hats on and 2020 vision at all we want. I guess I'm the one that's doing it. I don't know about we, but, uh, but I, I don't know. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off again. I've done that a lot this podcast. No problem. No problem. I was like, okay, one, one last thing before we put a bow on it. Um, and I, I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier before, but that final drive I thought was very impressive. And if there's one thing you can hang your hat on from this game, other than the performance of the defense all game, it was the final drive from the offense. So they get the ball and there is, I want to say it's like seven and change left yeah. on the clock in the fourth quarter. So they come out, they run the ball four times, pick up a first down um, after the second play. And then they're face, they, they face their first third down of the drive. Um, Louisville dials up a little bit of pressure and Ian book stands right there in the pocket. I, I, can't remember if he gets hit or not, but I mean, there was pressure right in his face. Um, stands right in the pocket, throws a dart to McKinley, who's, you know, a yard over the line to gain to keep the drive alive. Then they run it two more times and face another third down. Um, and then uh, Tommy Reese calls uh, a lot of, it wasn't, it wasn't really a flood route. It was just like a bunch of crossers over the middle of the field Um and you, you didn't really see a pick, but just a lot of traffic that ended up scheming Bennett Skoranek wide open. Um, he had a nice catch and run for 12 yards to keep the drive alive again. Um, and so one thing I noticed, like rewatching this again, these first two third downs that they faced on that drive, um, they had only one tight end on the field on the first third down and no tight ends on the field on the second third down they face. And you know, what you see a lot of times from this offense is just always at least at the very least two tight ends on the field. So 
normally, I mean, so if you're the Louisville defense, you're seeing this and you're like, all right, maybe that's a little bit of a tell, you know, if they're going to these packages where they have either one or no tight ends on the field, we should expect pass. So they pick up that next first down. We get two more runs and then we face another third down. Tommy Reese goes to 11 personnel, which is just one running back and one tight end. And there's a six man box. Um, and I think they have trips to the right and they run the ball and it just breaks and Kyron William run, runs for 24 yards. Uh, and I was like, at first, I mean, I, you know, obviously you watch it at first and you're like, hell yeah. Like that's the offensive line, just like blowing up in holes for our running backs and icing this game for us. But I mean, if you go back and look at the personnel that, 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 and the plays that Reese called, I mean, that's just, I thought perfectly orchestrated where, you're showing this defense one thing and then you're holding it in your back pocket until a moment when you absolutely need it. Because after those first two runs before they face that third down, I'm pretty, I, I think it was, yeah, I'm pretty sure Louisville called two timeouts there. So, and it was their last two timeouts. So they're, you know, this is our last chance to try and get the ball back and then boom, catch them off guard, hit them with, with a run when you only have one tight end in the field and they're expecting pass. And then you ice this game and go in, into victory formation. So I mean, hats off to, to Tommy Reese and obviously hats off to to the offense for executing on that last drive, you know, when when the pressure was at its highest. Um, and that I mean, that's that's kind of what I was getting at when when I was tweeting out that that was a silver lining. Um, but, you know, understandably, people people weren't having it. And, you know, you take what you can get. Um, and I think that being the end of the game. I mean, obviously it's not like a ton of momentum that you can carry into the next week, but I mean, much like we've seen in the past with, with Ian book and, and these offenses, they, they kind of don't really shy away from, from those moments. Um, and they have, have confidence that they can go out there and win games in, in these tight moments. Yeah. I so mean, I think to, to your point, like it always seems like there's regardless of how bad the game has gone beforehand, it always seems like there's, in, at least in recent years, there's always been this, like you think about like the touchdown pass to Miles Boykin against Pitt two years ago, or the, uh, you know, the last drive against Virginia Tech last year, which was the week after Michigan, the Michigan debacle, this drive that you just talked about. So it is interesting. And that's, I mean, that's some astute note taking by you. I'm actually quite impressed by, uh, <laughs> by, by that, uh, those observations that you just, uh, you just mentioned. So, you know, I guess if, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with you on, you know, if there's a silver lining, it's that they're able to keep some stuff in their back pocket and pull it out at the end. Whereas I think Notre Dame's teams of old, maybe might not have done that. So anyway, like I said, good. Uh, I don't know. That's, a, that's, a, that's one heck of an observation by you. So kudos to you for that. Hey, I mean, I, it's definitely not so. I mean, I, I remember just watching it live, being impressed, but then watching it back and picking up on that, I was like, okay, like, all right, Tommy Reese, like, I see you. Well done, well done, sir. <laughs> um, all right, let's let's go ahead and 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 look ahead to this matchup against Pitt um, on Saturday. So, kind of a similar situation where you're facing a conference opponent that's lost three games in a row um, and who's going to be obviously super hungry for a victory on top of that you get a team that's just given Notre Dame fits for years um and I mean I think Irish fans have have plenty of reason to be to be nervous heading into this one um they are I think it's I think the line may have moved to 11 um 
Well, sorry. well, hang on. I see it at 10 now, but it, it, I know it started at, at like nine, nine and a half. So it has moved a little bit in favor of Notre Dame, which, if you ask me, is odd um, because uh, after they're after not covering, actually, come to think of it, I think they've only covered once this season. I think only the USF game was when uh, was their only cover um, so far. So. Yeah, I don't know how you how you bet Notre Dame laying ten points and feel confident about that at all. Um, we talked about it just beforehand. There has been some. We were there was a little bit of uncertainty whether or not Kenny Pickett is going to start this game, and it seems like the latest that from what we've seen is that he is. Um, and I think it was was it just a bad ankle sprain or was it actually a high ankle sprain? Do you know, Ben? I do not know off the top of my head. I get. I mean, when I when I see that he's out, you know, a week in like almost two weeks, I would assume it ha- it would have to be something worse than just an ankle sprain, but I could be wrong. Um, and he is. I mean, he's he's a very talented passer, but at the same time, he is very much. I mean, not like one of those typical dual threats where he's going to make a bunch of people miss, but he. I mean, he's he's pretty quick um, and uh, uh, you know more of like a big bigger body type guy and and can definitely hurt you with his legs. Um, so I think, and I mean, it seems like you're, you're facing those guys almost every week when you look at college football. Um, but uh, yeah, this, I mean, it's definitely a very, very interesting matchup um, because you're looking to see a response from Notre Dame after kind of a, a very meh, performance um and you don't really have like a ton of faith that you're gonna really get it but I feel like there there's a chance that they could come out and play a very strong game this weekend um and that would I mean that would feel great uh talking about being you know a couple weeks away from facing Clemson in South Bend that would be um a hell of a confidence boost for this team so how are you feeling heading into this weekend uh you know, not good to be honest with you. Um, but we, like I say, you know, we're familiar with this territory for Notre Dame. I mean, it seems like at other times and other Notre Dame seasons, clunkers have been played, and then there's sort of like a turning point that you know maybe that clunker was the was the wake up call that Notre Dame needed. Um, and so I'm also, even though I don't feel great because of what we just watched against Louisville. Um, you know, the the optimist in me does say that, you know, maybe this was the wake-up call or maybe this was the, you know, the time where, you know, now at practice, like, the emphasis is, you know, on just one-on-one wide receiver getting open, going out and just balling out, okay? And I, I don't really know. So sometimes, you know, when these, when these games happen and, you know, these receivers are placed or faced with this, I don't know, this go out and produce, just just go out and produce or else you're going to lose your job. Then there's just a new level of refocusing and that type of thing. And so maybe that's the case with Notre Dame this week. And maybe for once, Pitt is the game where Notre Dame refocuses and, you know, gets back on track as opposed to being the team that almost knocked Notre Dame off when they're having a pretty good season. So um, I don't know. I, th- I think there's a little bit of both ways. I think you know, the bottom line is that I feel like Notre Dame's a really talented football team and has the opportunity to get all on the same page and start producing. And, I, I mean, I, I'm i optimistic enough to think that that could happen at any time. I'm also pessimistic enough to realize that could not happen at all. So that's just kind of generally where I'm at. Yeah. Um, this, 
I, I feel like, I mean, looking back, I, I, I guess I, I will say I think we should wait and see how Louisville finishes the season because I do think that is a very talented team. Um, and the same with Florida State, who appears to have maybe, maybe <laughs> turned the corner um, <laughs> with, the, with the switch to Jordan Travis at quarterback. Because I think, I mean, on paper, those look like kind of two very, you know, very unimpressive wins for Notre Dame. But I think when we look back um, after the season's all done, those could look slightly more impressive and, um, you know, overall something that you can kind of hang your hat on. Um, but Pitt feels like the first real test of the season. Um, and as, as we've mentioned, like, regardless of what Pitt's record is, they always love playing top 10 teams super close and upsetting them plenty of times. Um, so, and I mean, on top of that, you get, um, you know, you're facing a defense where their strength is the front seven. So you get strength on strength with no names, offensive line, their run game, going up against Pittsburgh's front seven. So um, it could, like, it has all the makings to be just one of those rip-your-hair-out type of games. Um, I did, I want to say, I I was keeping an eye on the weather, and, like, earlier in the week there there was supposed to be, I think, a little bit of rain on Saturday, but that has cleared up, and I was just like, thank God, because (laughs) I I just couldn't imagine watching this game if it was – if it was rainy and cold in Pittsburgh, like that, that just has like six three written all over it. Don't um, do it to me, Jack. Don't. I'm do it sorry. Me. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, hey, it looks like it's clearing up, so um, that's a good sign. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it's. I mean, I think our the way that we're approaching this game is kind of how the vast majority of the the Notre Dame fan base is, where. You just don't have um, – I mean, I feel like most people would confidently say, like, they feel good that Notre Dame would win this game, even if it is super close. But just as far as confident that this team is going to look like they've answered all of the questions that we have about them, I think that, that no one is confident that they'll see that, especially going up against a team like Pitt. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think – Really, you couldn't have put it better, to be honest. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we'll see. We shall see. I'm actually going to be out of town at a wedding, so um, I don't even know if I'll be able to watch this full game. Hopefully, I can get to see the at least the the first, probably at least the first three quarters before we gotta head out and then just follow the rest on my phone. But let's go ahead and and, and make some picks. So, like I mentioned, the uh, the spread is Notre Dame's favorite by ten. And the over-under is 43. Um, so, <laughs> uh, it feels like – I mean, I guess if you look back, Pitt has scored some points in some of their games. So, um, interesting number there. Um, I, I, I don't know where it started or any movement that's happened there. But how are you feeling about this game? What is, what is your final score prediction? I think that in general we're going to feel – better about Notre Dame like you kind of said I don't know that we have all our questions answered as we you know when we're sitting a week from today but um, I think Notre Dame wins this one they play a little better they look a little better doesn't necessarily show up in like a dominating fashion on the scoreboard and thus I'm going to pick Notre Dame 24 Pittsburgh 
17, but it's not maybe quite that close. Pittsburgh scores late to like close that gap. Okay. I was actually, I mean, I was thinking something pretty similar. Um, I think it's going to be, I think Notre Dame's going to win 24 to 20. And I think it's going to take a fourth quarter touchdown to regain the lead and eventually hold them off to win the game. Um, but yeah, this one, <laughs> this one is, is almost assuredly not going to be fun to watch. Um, but Hey, maybe, uh, maybe it'll be more fun to, to break down afterwards, but probably not. Um, all right, Ben. Well, <laughs> thanks again for, for taking the time to, to join the podcast again. And hopefully we could uh, recap another Notre Dame victory next week. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Ben Belden for joining the podcast yet again. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you're listening to it, and make sure you're following us on Twitter for updates on all future episodes. Until next time, go Irish.